As a child, his mother almost killed him and left him for dead. At five years old, he was abducted and says that was a blessing. As a young adult, he landed in an African prison, and he said it was the best thing that ever happened to him. And he had a journey that found himself living with and caring for elephants and lions. Today, on episode number 208 of the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller, the incredible story of resilience and blessing and overcoming adversity of Aaron Young. It shaped the rest of my life, that moment, that, that, that feeling of death and also that threat of, if you tell anyone, I will kill. Those two things, and I see you, you talk about it now, and it's interesting to feel that inner child flare up and that, you know, that connection that's still there, that little me that's in there and that strength. But I, I tell you, it took me a long time to get through and understand that abduction. It took me a long time to get through and understand my mother's behavior. But in those two situations, I was led on a journey to ask questions. And that is where I can see the blessing in both of them. I, can't, I don't want to change it. If someone said, could you go back? No, because I wouldn't be sitting here doing this right now. Welcome to the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller, the show dedicated to helping you crush adversity and succeed in life. Brad believes you deserve a life that is fulfilling and impactful. And this show is designed to help you navigate beyond adversity and achieve your life of peace, prosperity, and purpose. Now, here's Dr. Brad. Hello, good people. Welcome to Beyond Adversity with Dr. Brad Miller. Pleasure and a privilege to have you with me today as we continue to explore the human condition and how we overcome adversity to achieve a life of peace and prosperity and purpose. That's what we're all about here. This is episode 208. We're going to be talking with a very special guest who has an incredible story of perseverance and hope in the midst of a hellacious experience uh, today. We'll get into that just a minute, uh, just a moment. I did want you to know that this uh, that this episode is sponsored by the 40 Day Way, which is the coaching program that I run and you which will help you to develop your POP, your personal life plan to get you through in about 40 days, a process and a plan to break through adverse life events like depression, divorce, disease, debt and death and have a plan moving forward. You can head over to drbradmiller.com slash 40 day way to find out more uh, about it. Today, we are talking about kind of the core matter of what this whole podcast is all about and what my, I'm, I'm all about, which has to do with the fact that people can get stuck and absorbed in their adversity. I certainly have had my share of uh, depressing moments, disasters in my life, interpersonally. I've had a divorce. I've had financial disasters. I've had to deal with the death of loved ones, my own health issues. It's part of my life. They're part of yours, too. How you deal with it makes all the difference in the world. In fact, I cared so much about this issue of, of life transformation. I even got a doctoral degree in transformational leadership a while back. So I'm really interested in it as a student. And our guest today is one of these people who I was great to have a conversation with and was fascinating in so many ways because he kind of boiled down in a core statement that he makes that really what the Beyond Adversity podcast is all about and what I'm all about. And I think he boiled it down pretty well into a statement that he makes. He made this statement. The journey is how I found heaven in what appeared to be hell, and I ain't done yet. We're talking today with a, with a young man, Aaron Young. He's an Australian, and he uh, has lived quite a life. This is a, this is a ride of a story we're going to be on here uh, today, folks, and I'm going to get into it pretty soon here. But this is just a few nuggets here. His motivation is to share out of the wisdom of the experiences and the life experiences that he has had and to explore the human condition because, among other things, when he was a child, he was mother almost killed him and then left him and really abandoned him. That's a whole, that's a whole story, that's a whole book right there. 
But it goes on, Aaron talks about how he was abducted when he was five years old, and he says that was among the greatest things that ever happened to him. Then he goes on to talk about the circumstances which led to him being thrown into a prison in the African continent and being his life endangered in prison and other circumstances that were just incredibly brutal in prison. And he says, that's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. He talks about in our conversation today how all of this led him to be what he calls an accidental conservationist and how that ended up working with African elephants and lions in, uh, in Southern Africa and being in that world of conservation and how all that has led him through his life. And now he has a, a young child and a family. And he's raising them and he's looking and he continues to seek out uh, this sense of the communication between the world and the human condition and how he can better serve nature and humanity. And he's called to be a crusader in these areas. This is an incredibly story, lots of riveting, intense things. And we're going to what I want you to understand here today is whatever is going on in your life. It's important. It can be terrifying. It can be depressing. It can be uh, upsetting. But we're going to hear the day of the story of Aaron Young, and we're going to t- we'll get you connected to his coaching program, which is called Catalyst Coaching. But in his coaching program, what he's all about, he deals with matters of getting through life experiences and see the good in them, to see what it can lead you to. And that's what we're going to focus on here today. This is what going beyond adversity is all about. It's going through the wilderness experience, identifying your adversity, going through the wilderness experience and coming out the other side and appreciating what you have and coming out to a better, more content, a place of peace and prosperity and purpose is what we like to say here on Beyond Adversity. So just strap on, everybody. This is a great ride here today with Aaron Young from Catalyst Coaching. Let's get into this conversation here on episode number 208 of the Beyond Adversity podcast. Let's get into this conversation right now. And our guest today, Aaron Young, has had a series of dramatic and very interesting and in many ways unique life experiences he's going to share with us. And in our conversation today, and I'm not going to steal any thunder from him. I'm let him get into it, but other than to say that it's all led him to a place, his life experiences have led him to a place of wisdom that is far and wide. And he is all about communicating and exploring the human condition and the sharing that with you. And he does that through his program called Catalyst Coaching Australia. We'll say more about that in a little bit, but we welcome to Beyond Adversity, Aaron Young. Well, Aaron, welcome. Right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Always to hear an introduction and hear people's perspective of the buyers and stuff like that is really kind of cool and very humbling. Never really considered myself a person who would ever do this. And so every time I sit here, I have this incredible, beautiful, I guess, universal moment of gratitude where I'm like, how lucky it was that I can turn these things from my life into, into this. Well, in reading about you a little bit, Aaron, I was amazed not only by the experiences that I want you to share here in just a minute, but your attitude towards them and how you were able to turn really some pretty challenging things into some benefits to you. But let's just start in kind of your background. I'll get some context here. You ended up, you are you are from Australia, but you've had various experiences and other continents and other things that have happened in your life experience. And I guess let's just start in your childhood. You had some really dramatic things happen growing up, didn't you? Yeah, yeah I did. And, and it's interesting though. To talk, I'll talk about it as if I wasn't a coach, and that was I grew up in a, a really chaotic, dysfunctional, terrifying environment is the way I'd say it without my coach's hat on, and that was my mother's an addict, suffers from and suffers to this day still from quite every, you know, myriad of mental illnesses, which led to a serious amount of neglect, which is not a word I use lightly, and, and the reason I have to use it is because at, at age five I was abducted by a local and there was an attempted molestation. He obviously didn't realise what he bitten off, and I fought. But the problem was, as a five-year-old, I'd be dumped in the bush. I had no clue where I was, and I spent a day, literally thought I was going to die. So why I go into the detail of that is because it shaped the rest of my life. That moment, that 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 feeling of death, and also that threat of if you tell anyone, I will kill mm. your family. 
those two things, and it's see, so you, you talk about it now, and it's interesting to feel that inner child flare up and that, you know, that connection that's still there, that little me that's in there and that strength. But I, I tell you, it took me a long time to get through and understand that abduction. It took me a long time to get through and understand my mother's behavior. But in those two situations, I was led on a journey to ask questions. And that is where I can see the blessing in both of them. Like I, I don't want to change it. If someone said, could you go back? No, because I wouldn't be sitting here doing this right now. I'd be at a nine to five. I wouldn't have had the adventures and I wouldn't have the children I have. You know, so much would unravel. No, I, I wouldn't change it. Is it, is it. Am I sweating? Do I feel it? Yeah, but in that feeling is my human experience. That's, that's what I'm blessed with. And when I share that and someone goes, what, are you serious? You can talk about an abduction as a blessing then they might take that deep breath in and go, well, maybe I can do it. You know, and if that's not a blessing, I don't know what is. Yeah. And then it seemed like you, that first of all, I'm sorry that happened to you, but I'm amazed that you're able to take this experience and the other ones we're going to talk about here and to see them as a blessing. That is a gift that you're giving to others right now by the choice that people can make. You know, people do choose yes. how they approach uh, when bad things happen, there's yes. a book I read a long time ago called when bad things happen to good people and bad things do happen. We know even right now, as we speak, there's wars going on in Ukraine and there's, you know, the COVID crisis thing. Bad things do happen to good people for no fault of their own. But how are you going to deal with it? And many people end up in a ditch somewhere or stuck in life. And the choice you can make is to get unstuck. So out of this also, then. You navigated through life in such a way that you had many adventures and opportunities and it seems like some things fell in your lap that were good and some things came to you that were pretty bad. Tell us a little bit about your experiences that kind of led you, for instance, to end up in prison and being and eventually an accidental conservationist, things like this. Okay, yeah, well... These two events created, I guess, in a massive sense of wonder, but what they also did, and, you know, if anyone's ever heard this term in a child, was they produced an inner child in me that was incredibly strong. And this is where these blessings hone us into, you know, warriors or whatever you want to call it. And so there was a sense of wonder at the world. And I looked at the world very differently, but I also looked at it from a very childlike perspective. So I took big risks, which you can see as a positive, And as you said, you can see as a huge negative. I got to the point where I had to own my life and I couldn't blame mum and I couldn't blame my early childhood, but I still had, a, I guess, unseen ghost or driving force in my life that went big. So I ended up travelling a lot from a very young age, spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia and the South Pacific on the islands, and then eventually pushed a little bit further and ended up into the, into the Middle East for a few years where I ran pretty much every sporting and entertainment event you can think for the shakes out of the UAE and Qatar for a few years. Around them, you, you kind of were an administrator of some sort? No, I, I built the stadium. So I went out oh, into the desert. Okay. I, I, built, I built stadiums in the I desert see. for the, the rugby sevens tournaments, the, the richest golf tournaments, okay, horse you. racing. Yeah. Okay, and and then also did a little, little bit of work with the US and the UK military, a little bit of work with, yeah, all sorts of really cool, wonderful stuff while I was there. But then as I was happened to do, and, and this is a – a consequence of my a lack of understanding of my childhood at this point in my life was I would fell in love, which I was prone to do. Relationships was the one sort of lingering hangover for me that I didn't really comprehend about myself. And I packed everything in just as I was about to work the first Abu Dhabi Grand Prix would have been my life-changing moment, would have set me up career-wise for life, but I fell in love and, and ran off to Africa. So landed in South Africa first ended up getting married in South Africa and landed myself right next to the Kruger National Park. And the Kruger National Park was heaven on earth for me. I literally spent six months of my life next to lions, elephants, leopards, you name it, wow. these species on my doorstep. I was 40-minute drive from the gates and I had this innate ability to attract animals. So people would go to Kruger for years, locals, to see a leopard. In my first trip there, I saw two. I saw line after line after line, and what happened was I got this connection with the natural world that I'd had previously, but now it was a completely different game. Wow. Especially elephants, and, and that'll sort of come unravel a little bit further down the track. So, so you ended up being employed at this national park? I just want to kind of get a context here. You no, no, this was purely in that early stages. This was purely holidaying. 
This okay, was just me. Just there. This okay. was, yeah, just me living in South Africa, close to the the park, spending as much time in there. And the more I spent, the more I wanted to be there. I see. Huh? At, at, yeah, at the end of that period, we emigrated north into Zimbabwe, which is a country just north of South Africa. Yes. And this is where my love of wildlife started to turn into more of a passion, and there was more of a purpose to it. I ended up dabbling in and working with a couple of guys in the hunting industry. Now, in Southern Africa, in Africa full stop, hunting was still considered ethical. I was around hunters. I was of the thinking that they were telling the truth. What I, what I slowly learned about the hunting industry is that it was literally basically all lies. I did some anti-poaching for the hunting industry in Mozambique, and then I really found out that it is utter rubbish, that hunting is a destructive force in Africa, and it is taking and destroying the last of what's there in the name of money. I don't blame any of them. Africa is a continent that produces some incredibly crazy stuff. It is just a situation and people reacting to their little bubble. And that's what happens with us as humans. We react to that bubble around us and sometimes lose scope of outside it. So after my last adventure, which was witnessing the the shooting of an underage leopard, I vowed to turn my life from hunting into conservation. So, so that I was a real work. pivotal point for you. You, you, oh, big. It was big. That, that I, I worked in that sort of 12 days with two Texan clients. And what I saw was again, people who had no clue what they were doing. They didn't really, but they really didn't understand the ramifications of it. I saw the money and I saw these hunting outfitters at the top of it raking in all this money under the adage that they're helping the local communities. They weren't. They were basically feathering their retirement nest because they knew that eventually there was going to be nothing left to shoot. And they knew it. It was harder and harder. Hunts were being unethically driven. They were shooting at night. They were burning huge tracts of land to drive animals. There was nothing left. Wow. So, and it was, and but it was, a, again, it hurts me to talk about and remember it and say I was a part of it, but it wouldn't have driven me to be the conservationist that I was and that I may still end up going back into now. And that, and the world needs more of that. We need more people with that sense of purpose. And so, so sometimes you've got to go in and see that thing. You've got to live it. You, know, you can't be against something until you've actually experienced it, really. Otherwise, you're just an armchair critic. So you had a moral moment, a moment when you were connected to something greater than yourself, greater than the the dollar or the, or the you know the money at hand, yeah. and you had a sense of different purpose. That- yeah, and, and my daughter was also literally at this point about 14 months old, and okay. I took these last photos, and when looking at them, I realized that that was not the legacy I wanted to leave for my daughter. Yes. And to that day, those photos are still in Zimbabwe, which we'll get to why, but they're on a laptop, which I gave to my daughter when I last saw her. Okay. So eventually at one point, she's going to see those and I'll have to answer for it. And the truth is I don't have a problem with that. I don't want to hide, but does it make me feel good? No. No. No, it doesn't. So these were photographs with you with the... With the hunters, not me type? with me with the, yeah me with the hunters, me with the with the trackers, you I know, see. yeah, okay. and and not so, I think maybe one or two with me with this leopard, and that just so makes me things you're not necessarily proud of, but it, you're you're owning up to it. Mm-hmm. This is part of who, who you are. You, you, I have to. It's part of the journey, and realistically, right. when we hide things and when we lie, it makes us sick. One yeah. of the biggest problems we have as humans is with this this super ego and this outward society telling us things must be perfect we hide so much and to hide is to lie just so people think a lie is when you say something out loud that is untrue but at times when you don't tell something that is true for you it's the same it's a lie they make us sick you know and i learned that through working with addicts is when you lie you corrupt something inside you we need to find that sort of a place of honesty for ourselves for our personal growth so some on this whole process you got involved with some unsavory folks not only the hunting industry, but other places that somehow landed you in jail. And that was another big time transition for you, was it not? Yeah, big time. So I left the bush. I'd worked with vets. I was working with elephants closely. I'd become an elephant behavior specialist. I was the go-to guy to move problem lines all around Zimbabwe. And then I had now a son born. Now, I wasn't making money in conservation. There is no money in it. I was spending my own money, and I had to move into something that actually paid the bills, so I went farming. Now, in a nutshell, your listeners probably won't know much about Zimbabwe, but in early 2000s, there was a war. Anyone of lighter skin color was literally told, if you don't leave, the country will kill you. They killed a lot of farmers. The rest of them fled. I went farming in that country, obviously, as a man that has lighter skin. 
I took my crusader mentality from conservation into farming and I created an incredible model farm out of a farm that was debt ridden and ready to go bust. The problem with my attitude in conservation, which was ignored because I was doing good and not claiming credit for in farming, I was a problem politically. So long story short, lots of guns pointed at me, lots of death threats, lots of insanity. I had to leave the farm and then the politics didn't leave me. So I hid and eventually that came a knocking for me. So you got caught up on a whole corrupt system that eventually spiraled out of control and you got sucked into it. Well, I wasn't, the problem was I'm not corrupt and I wasn't born into that world. So I refused to play by their rules. My attitude was there was this idea within Africa of acceptable theft or acceptable loss. And that is there is always going to be theft in Africa. You just have to put up with it. No, I, I didn't believe that in rebuilding these countries, that that was an attitude we can continue. And I believed that it had to be tackled. And so I tackled it. So if you, th- if you stole on my farm, you were gone. If, if not, you were rehabilitated. If not, I had citizen juries. So the staff dealt with themselves. So I tried to bring back and, and reassemble that tribal connection of how they dealt with their own issues instead of it being dealt with by the police. And it worked. The problem was is then everyone started turning away from politics. They were all saying, we don't need politicians to do this. Look what this guy's doing. Now, obviously, politicians don't like that sort of thing. A white guy talking anti-corruption, a white guy saying no theft, and it working was the worst thing for them. So anyway, I ran, I hid. I hoped, I realised at one point that I pushed too far, but by that point, they were at me, they got me and Mm -hmm. threw me in prison the first time in 2018. Wow. And you have said in some of your, some of the things I've read about you, you said that the African prison was the best thing that ever happened to you. Yeah. Uh, tell me about that. How that doesn't sound like a very, you know, pleasant thing to happen. And I've visited prisons on many occasions and I'm, I'm a uh, retired pastor. So I've been to visiting for a lot of folks in prison. And so not places I like to be. In fact, I've been in a prison in South America, visiting people, not in Africa, but in South America, but in third oh, world, put it that yeah, way. Yeah. And uh, so I know there's a huge difference in how people are treated in different prisons. Tell me more about what you meant by this is the best thing that ever happened to you. Okay. It's trying to keep you short. This is a book in itself. Now, okay. so when I first went into the system, they tried to break me. They wanted me out of the country. They didn't want me in prison. So for two days, they beat and tortured me. I refused to go. I wasn't leaving my kids. They eventually booked me and put me in. So the first couple of days, again, it's this idea that challenge hones you. Now, in those two days, there were moments I thought I was going to die. And I had to stop and, I guess, go inward and say, I'm a big uh, believer in meditation and breath work and all those sorts of things. So I just practiced the basic, simple stuff of what I knew. I rode through it with this idea that if I stick this out, I'm going to get to see my kids again. I'm going to get to see my kids again. Once it started to unravel that I was possibly going to be in prison for a long, long time, I guess, and this goes back to my early childhood, I started to apply the reality that I'd gotten this far and nothing had killed me yet. So this experience of fronting wasn't going to kill me. And again, this is all a process. This isn't just like I snapped my fingers and all of a sudden, guys, I had this beautiful perspective. Every day was a new lesson, was a new person. I met an Ethiopian guy in the cell who'd been in there six years, a political prisoner, hadn't been charged, and instantly we spoke. And this guy was not Ethiopian, you said on television, six foot two, 105 kgs, a monster of a man, light skin, looked more like an Egyptian, and instantly we talked about culture. Then I looked around me and realised I was surrounded by an African from every single African country. There was Burundi, Gambia, Congo, Ghana, and there was enough English that I all of a sudden got a a lesson in culture, which was just astounding. And because I was white, I could smuggle food in. Now, it wasn't Mm. a lot. I would get the odd loaf of bread. So what I was able to do is now connect with these guys and actually help feed them, help guys who were sick by getting garlic and ginger board in. All of this just unraveled. And, and like, so after four days, which were terrifying, you know, like no food, no water, being beaten, don't know what's next. No one knew where I was. I just started to look around. I started training the staff on how to box, how to do close combat techniques. I just, something in me took my entire previous life's experience and said, you can't let this, you can't sit in a corner and die here. Okay. You can't. I'm a survivor. And, and, every, and, and I'm going to need to stop here and be really cautious and say this to people. My story sounds big. Don't think you've got to go to African prison to understand what I'm saying. This is relatable to every single person. I am no different to any other human being on the face of the planet. In some respects, 
I made some really bad mistakes you might not have, and you might have handled it better. So don't think, oh, this guy's this, and he, and he went, you are no different. And I got well, Everybody's got their drama, you know, whatever yeah. it is. And it could be for some, like a person going through a divorce, could be just a debilitating drama mm-hmm. in their own deal. In your case, you read this you know, life-threatening drama, but still it's drama nonetheless. And you were made some choices then. And this is part of what I'm interested in with you, Aaron, is the choices you made then to draw upon your past experience and apply it to your current crisis at hand in order to get through the other side. So go with that. It's understanding that the moment is bigger. So I guess what it is, is being able to look back and go, hang on, you know, we forget sometimes as humans, we get caught up in the moment. The emotions are so overwhelming. We completely forget that we've been through tougher stuff before. We, mm-hmm. we forget the past experiences and we forget the lessons. You know, one thing with humans is we've got a disease of forgetfulness. And sometimes it's at these moments. And this is what coaches sort of do is remind you that you're way stronger and way tougher and smarter, more resilient than you would ever, ever understand. And I had to constantly bring myself back to that. Remember when you were a kid? Look where you are now. Use that strength, that inner child that has taken all those huge risks and that adventure as an ability here to, and also to help. I was helping people, you know, surrounded by poverty to watch people eat in that environment where food is thrown on the floor and it is literally like a pack of wild dogs to be able to calm that with my own personal energy and get them actually ordered up so people got to feed fairly, to be able to walk around that prison with my head held high in no fear of danger after my initial four or five days was like a coming of age almost. Sure. That's where when I make this statement, the best thing that happened to me, it is more relatable to this idea that for me, I'd come full circle and I had wow. to go to an African prison yeah. to do it, which is and kind of sad really. But well, that's sometimes what my, we got to hit a pretty low place in order to rise out of it, which you chose to, yeah. rope, right, to rise out of it. And so I want you to fast forward now a little bit from this situation to kind of where you're at now. I know you've gone through all kinds of stuff here. Yeah, but you've made some choices that's kind of led you to a better place. You've got your challenges, I know, but a better place where you're starting to make contributions to other. What are, what do you think are some of the decisions or the actions or what you did to help you navigate through all this stuff yeah. and come to a better place now? What are some of the actions that you took? The, the, the simplest one that I can talk about, and I'm going to say simple, and I really want people to listen to this because this word that I'm going to use gets hammered about really easily, but people need to understand the potency and the power of it, and that is gratitude. Gratitude is a muscle. As we get older, it seems to be a muscle we flex less and less. Gratitude needs to be worked. You need, and I needed to wake up every single morning, and to this day right now, because my kids are still back in Africa, I need to wake up every single day and flex that muscle. I need to start my day with a simple gratitude list that doesn't just say I am grateful for something, but goes into the depth of why I am grateful because gratitude is a feeling. Gratitude isn't a mental process. We've been caught up in these books and movies which say I am grateful for, write a list for 30 days. That's not gratitude. That's a mental repetition thing that every time something bad happens, you just tell your brain to tell you it's not it's not bad. It's not bad. You need to really get into the feeling of it. The chemical reaction like happiness or joy, gratitude is a feeling. When you work that muscle every single day, all of a sudden you start looking around you and reconnecting with the world and with people in ways that are just, we become foreign to us as adults, you know, and it's so simple. This is like five, six, seven minutes a day. It's not yeah. like an hour. Well, tell me, let's, let's go into that just a little deeper here. You say you work the muscle of gratitude. So, you know, if we're going to work our muscles to build our biceps or whatever, we're going to do 50 curls or, you know, 20 push-ups or whatever it is and get our diet in order. What are some of the disciplines? What are some of the ways? What is your protocol, if you will, for your gratitude? Okay. So literally I wake up early in the morning. That is my number one rule that I teach to everyone. I wake up five o'clock. That's the first thing with any client is I get them up earlier before everyone in the house. The next thing I do is drink half a liter of water. And again, this all sounds really silly and a little bizarre, but understand that this process has taken me through everything I've been through to here. The next thing I do is I write my gratitude. Okay, I slow down and I try and get into a state where I'm looking out at nature if I can or looking out a window and I write my gratitude slowly with intention and purpose and I make an extra special point and the energy goes into why I am grateful. I push for the feeling. 
I don't stop until I get that. For some, it's easy. For some, it's not. It's a, it's a practice. After I do that, I meditate. I do a little bit of breath work, you know, and a little bit, literally five minutes, 60 seconds of breath work. I stop to connect with the world around me. What I learned to see was there are always miracles. Like right now, the color green in this plant that's on my desk, they're everywhere. Life never takes the miracles from around you. You choose to take them away from yourself by how you see the world. And if you slow down, if you slow down your mind enough to be able to just look around you, look out my office, look at whatever it is that you can see, there are miracles. There are so many miracles. And it's, it's, a, it's absurd how much you can connect with when someone can gift you that, that, that sight because all it is is retraining your eyes to look up and see what's really around you. Yeah, I think you're describing here, Aaron, just a lot of practices and disciplines that help people to shift where they're at from a sense of lack in what you don't have to a sense of understanding and realization and noticing what you do have. And sometimes that comes even to inflection of voice and tone of voice and things of that nature. Very, uh, very much. Just a very simple one that I use with some people sometimes is just a phrase, oh God, it's morning. You can wake up and go, oh God, it's morning. Or you can wake up and go, oh God, it's morning. You know, it tone and inflection, this type of thing has, has to. Power of language. The power of language is an incredible thing. I, t- I teach people this, you know, yeah. try and understand and define very simple things like that. Like how do you, what's the first thought that enters your head in the morning? Write it down and have a look at it and look at exactly that because we've also created a society where there's two parts of us. There's the outward one that we sell to everybody because that's what society has asked of us to do and social media is sort of it, it, making it a little bit worse. Then there's the inner. Mm-hmm. And it's the inner that we really need to spend a little bit more time looking at because it's that inner that's making the choices for us. Well, if we trans- is- transformation, the inner life is a key part of it. And so go there with a little bit. What are some of the things that you have done to connect up, you know, to have a sense of something greater than yourself? You mentioned, for instance, a minute ago about the, your, 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 your affiliate connection to wildlife and to conservation. It seems to me you had a moment at inner conservation and inner life moment there but what is what how important is it to be connected to something greater than yourself in order to have life transformation it is the greatest thing ever and i pause because this is where i'm very cautious with how i talk to people because once you start talking about this for a lot of people they shut down the spiritual side of us as humans is as equal to the the heart body and the mind Mm-hmm. Yet we seem to have uh, sort of swayed away from it. I want to say disconnected from it. We have disconnected from it. For me, and then what I teach people simply so they don't get caught up if they're fearful of religion, is that nature can be your religion. So for me, it's a case of going outside and having a look at, like I said, the miracles. By acknowledging miracles, you start to acknowledge your spiritual side. You can start to, like for me, barefoot, I go stand on the grass and sweat, and I feel that water. I feel that connection to the earth i look for that if i want to look at my connection to a higher power that's where my trust comes in my two children not being here again like gratitude i have to practice trust i have to sit there and look at the situation and say that i trust that god is going to at some point reunite me with my kids and then i have to trust the reason for why they're not with me things like belief and trust are Sometimes not tangible, but they can still be real if we you know, really, you know, lean into those. And that's that's transformative when you when you do that. And I love what you're sharing here, Aaron, because you're talking about some of the physical things you take. You're getting up early. It's a physical thing. Mm-hmm. You know, having a, having a discipline, a five to seven minute discipline is a mm-hmm. physical thing. And then you have a practice of breathing and meditation. So those are physical, but they are inter integrated with your spiritual life or your inner life, whatever you want to say. And then, then the, the part that I want to, and then you talk about your disciplines here. I want to talk to you a little further about the disciplines about your everyday life now, about how this, you know, in your career or your practices or your family life, whatever, how does what you've experienced now impact in your day-to-day life? How do you, what are your habits? What are your practices? What about your daily life? Okay, the simplest one here, and it's like when I talked about gratitude. So I use the word simple a lot because it is simple. And the, and the, the biggest one is breath, is the word breath. The people, again, as soon as I say this, they tend to zone out a little bit and go, what do you mean? I know how to breathe. When I went into prison the first time, and I'd been breathing and, and using a lot of breathing exercise for 20, 25 years from my early martial arts days, but 
when I was going in the first time and they took me into the courtrooms and I knew now that there was a potential I was going to serve 10 plus years in prison, I connected with my breath again and you just see or you heard me do it then. Mm-hmm. What happened was I realised that to keep myself calm in what I was about to head into, I had to maintain this ability to keep my body calm. As you just mentioned before, heart, mind, body, soul, there are four parts of us that we try to strive to keep in balance. Breath is the bridge. When you breathe, when there's a stressful situation and when you develop, it is a trigger, a natural trigger to stress. What happens is your mind just instantly comes down a notch. So right in front of my my house now, there's a car accident and there's a person injured. If I run into that situation, wound up and tense, I'm going to be very little help. If I regulate my breathing and just watch my body, that natural trigger, I come down a notch. That's simple as that. If I can give anything away that you can do in your daily life and I train people to do is to learn 10, 12 times a day, every hour on the waking hour, you learn to just breathe deep into your stomach. What happens after 30 days, 60 days, is you don't have to remember to do it anymore. Your body starts to say, okay, I got this. Stress. And you don't have to do it that loudly. People won't notice, so don't be embarrassed by this. Oh, if I stop and breathe, people are going to look at me funny. No, they don't. You won't do that. Eventually, your body will just naturally have this trigger that says stress, anger, whatever it is that is your trigger. Yeah. Breathe. And when you do that, when you're able to control your breathing and have a little cognizance of it, then you can, that application of that can help you to be more productive or more in the moment or deal with whatever crisis, whether whether it's minor or major, you know, you had some pretty major things you had to deal with, but you know, everyday crisis, you know, when it works with my kids, my children, if my children with other people. Hey, one yeah. of the biggest things going on in the world right now is anxiety, you know, and yes. how we anxiety and depression, the sense of meaninglessness. I happen yes. to notice that Google had a end of the year thing in the year, end of the year 21, where they said that the biggest searches that they had in Google, you know, the top search was how to heal, you know, how to heal yeah. people, because obviously that means there's a lot of hurt. And that is out there. Yeah. People are saying they want, they're searching for how to heal. And so I just think you have some things going on here. And so let's apply it now, Aaron, to other people. You've had this yeah. experience. Yeah. You've had these dramatic experiences. Anyway, you cut it. Your experiences are dramatic compared to many other people. But you've handled them in such a way that you keep saying that you see with some good that has come out of prison, some good that has come out of even being separated from your children, some good that's come out of, you know, the other challenges that you've had. But the important point here now and why you're here with me today, at least, at least why I want you to be here today, is how you can speak into the life of other people, how your experiences can be helpful to others. And I believe when we do that, we're serving out of love. We're serving out of true care and compassion for wanting to serve humanity, not out of, not out of, out of arrogance or, you know, trying to make more money or whatever it would be, but out of service, out of humility, not hubris. So tell me a little bit of what you offer to people. What can people get from you that could be helpful to them to navigate whatever adversities they're going through? Well, what you get is two words, as simple and sincere. I'm not a salesman. You can look behind me. I don't do the shiny backdrops and the fancy lighting, and that is because of what you just explained. I got to a point where I understand very clearly that my life was a series of blessings that were given to me to give to others and that I could very easily turn it into a case of six-figure incomes and selling like all these coaches are. That's just not who I am. And if there's one thing I bring sincere up is I want to live a sincere life. I want my children to have an example or a leader in their lives that is what he says he is and doesn't have that disconnection between the outer version of me and the inner version. That is, it's highly important because if I'm anything before I'm a career man or a man or a prison person is I'm a dad. Yeah. That is my number one priority in life because God blessed me with these children and these little souls to lead by example for. And if I have a legacy, it is what I leave in them because they are the next generation, which then shape the next generation, which which then shape the next generation. And so for me, my number one motivator is to help parents or to help people who will become parents to be better versions of themselves so that when those little souls are blessed to them, 
they understand the importance, they understand the responsibility that we have, and not a fearful responsibility, not a shameful guilt, not, not be scared of it, but to embrace that you are the leader in their life and that it is on us to do the best we can for ourselves so that we give them the very best opportunity to live their lives and not carry the junk that we may have either been given we created ourselves or, or however. It doesn't matter whether it was childhood trauma or adult trauma. Wow. We, we need to own it. So you've got something then to offer parents, particularly, and you've mentioned about your daughters who were separated from you. I know you have a young child as well in your life right now. And so obviously this is very important to you right now to leave a legacy. And I'm, I'm just picking up on the themes of simplicity and authenticity yeah. and a, a commitment to a deeper life and the gratitude. So tell me about if there's been, you know, you have a coaching program, but has there been people in your life who have you had some influence on or had a connection with that you've seen some change with or some transformation happen? I, I'm just interested in hearing perhaps like some sort of a testimonial, somebody that you've worked with. Yeah, look, I, I think this this catalyst business has been with me a very long time, but I think coming back to Australia after the last time I left Africa, I started working more closely with men. And now I, I don't want to just work with men because I find I work better with them, but I've got a local group of guys, there's about seven or eight of us, and I started teaching meditation and breath work to these men. And these are guys who have never, ever encountered this type of stuff. It was kind of weird and kind of foreign to them. And what I did was I turned these very simple tools into something that they brag about and talk about with other men. That is the nature of who I am. I am that catalyst. If I change one man's opinion of something simple like getting up early, breath, gratitude, meditation, he becomes his own voice for that. So there's a ripple effect. I become a part of the community as a whole just by being me and teaching them. So for me, it's this men's work, and I am going to start a couple of men's groups here in the next month. That is where I seem to be pulled towards because men appear to be shrinking quite a bit and very uncertain of where their role is in the world at the moment. It's kind of kind of a scary place for a lot of them. So what they're doing sure. is they're shutting, shutting down. They've still got this outer presence and they go to the gym and they go to work and they pay the bills. But this internal part of them, this warrior that, you know, we, we came from tribes, that part of us that is in there seems to be really completely lost. And the more we suppress it, the more we see alcoholism, the more we see a lot more addiction, a lot more, we see a lot more anxiety and depression. And what society is teaching us to do is just to suppress it more. So take the pills, you know, go see this person and talk about the story every week. But we don't see many people talking about the really simple tools that will help you. And then if you help yourself, you will help a guy you work with. And if you find that self-honesty and that ability to talk about your experience and say, I feel this, I did this, then there's that ripple effect again. You teach others. And that's what it's all about is that, well, I believe at least when you share out of love and of gratitude and you see that multiplied, that is when it is really gratifying. Our gratitude becomes gratifying. And that's, you know, what it's really all about. So let's wrap this up. For me, it is. Oh, sorry. Say, say yeah, for me, it is. Look, you couldn't have said yeah. it, but for me, it is. Look, spot on. I can go out tonight and push myself as a coach and I can make a lot of money and, and, and it's worked in the past. But what I tend to find is when I'm actually serving, like you've just said, with that sincere compassion and that grace and that connection, my life may not be as full of cars and money, but I can tell you I sleep way better at night. I see the world in a much better, much better, much better light. Well, I'm of the belief, Aaron, that there is, you know, basically, you know, we've had this pandemic of the COVID for the last couple of years, but I believe there is a pandemic of meaningless Ness in our world and those who can speak meaningfulness into people's lives and help that to happen. That is such an incredible need. And so I'd like to wrap this up by one bit of advice that I'd like for you to kind of put in your mind's eye that there may be a man listening to us here today. Maybe he's got a young child and he is something in his life is amiss. You know, he has had issues. Maybe it's substance abuse. Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's a depression or maybe he's had COVID. Maybe he's got relatives in Ukraine or, you know, any number of things that are going on. 
with his life and he's in a bad way, a bad place. What just, you know, you've had people speak into your life and life experiences that have changed you, but just what's, what would you say to that young dad to, uh, right now that might be a helpful piece to in their life? Yeah. I, something came to mind and it's a snippet from my first time in prison. I was about five days in. I had someone that I worked with, and as you just said, someone who spoke to me and and helped me incredibly to see a lot about my life that I needed to from her perspective. And it was kind of confronting, so I'm going to warn you, it isn't a rosy statement. She managed to get herself into the prison, and in the viewing yard, she yelled across at this gate. She's about five foot in her 50s, and she screamed because she had to to be heard above the thousands of prisoners. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. Mm. And I literally almost fell to my knees in tears. And before I could do that, I stood bolt upright and I smiled back at her and I realized that she was dead right. Now, your life may not be a prison right now. Your life bit might be something that you could, you feel the same amount of grief that I did in that position, but it's not of the same monumental size or scope. It doesn't matter. There is always hope. And there is always, always hope. And, And when you're in a challenge, that is going to forge you. And it might not feel like it at the time and you may be sitting there already, your knees are about to hit the ground. And that is to look up. Remember, you're not alone. You've got this far and this challenge, this overwhelming feeling that's gripping you, nothing lasts forever. It will pass. And it's what you do with it once you get past and through that other side of this this monumental feeling is what shapes you. It's that choice. And you've got people. We live in a world where you can reach out. You can find me. I don't charge to talk to people and help them through a tough time. You can reset, reach out. You've got this man right here doing what he's doing here. There is always your ability to choose to ask for help. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be fearful of the idea of being authentic, being sincere. You can always find it if you choose it. A good word to speak in the life of someone who I know is going to hear this word and it's going to be helpful word of gratitude and hope that you are not alone. His name is Aaron Young and you can find him at facebook.com Catalyst Coaching Aust, A-U-S-T for Australia. And he is going to be helpful to your life and connect up with him. We thank you, Aaron Young, for being our guest today on the Beyond Adversity Podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. All right, what a what an incredible story uh, with Aaron Young from uh, Catalyst Coaching. We're going to put uh, connections to his coaching program in our show notes at uh, drbradmiller.com uh, slash 208 for this episode. But let's just talk for a minute about what we learned here from Aaron's story. Just remember how brutally the brutality of what we went through in life, in prison and uh, in near-death experiences involved with war and just brutal experiences, being abandoned by his mother, um, you know, all kinds of things happened to him. And he chose to get through them and to persevere and to find hope even in the midst of the madness. He found heaven in what appeared to be hell. I've been hanging on that statement that he made because I think that's a key statement for all of us to bear in mind as we think about Aaron's story and our own story. How can you see the hell you're going through and to come out and see the heaven in it? Well, there's all kinds of ways of doing it. I have a teaching process myself that helps you to find that. You can head over uh, to the 40-Day Way, which is my coaching program. DrBradMiller.com slash 40 day away. It's going to be one place you can get started on that. I also want you to know that I find solace in my own life from uh, my own personal faith and from a biblical perspective on things quite often. As you may know, I'm a retired pastor and many of what, much of what I teach here has to, has come out of my 40 plus years of ministry, dealing with people who have had all kinds of crises and all kinds of situations in life and my own as well. That's why I think I can be helpful to you and bring in people who I think like you can be helpful to you, who teaches you stories like Aaron did. And the call of Aaron here today is perseverance that transforms your hellacious experiences into heavenly experiences. 
And in my particular case, I can't help but think about a biblical passage that it just speaks to this situation. And I just want to share it. And if you're not a man or woman of faith, just bear it in mind to hear it for the message it brings regardless. But for those of you who are men and women of faith, uh, I invite you to look this up and kind of dwell on it in your own right. It's from Romans uh, 5, uh, chapters, uh, chapter 5, uh, verses uh, 1 through 5. It's subtitled in my Bible, Peace and Hope. It goes something like this. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know, and here's what I want you to get here, friends, from Aaron's story. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured onto our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. Close quote. Hear what that scripture says. Hear the story of Aaron. Hear my story and your story that you do, do not have to remain stuck anywhere. But we need to move forward in faith that even the situations we are in will pass. We'll go through. We go through. We go through a wilderness experience. And we need to have this character quality of perseverance to carry through. And uh, another aspect of that uh, of that care uh, of that is character. So we perseverance is the action. Character is who we are and our values. And what does it produce? It produces hope, and hope gives us something to look forward to. And I love what the scripture says: it does not put us to shame. And I love that. So because it says uh, it says that uh, because we then feel love in our hearts. And I believe that can be the case if we choose to navigate through adversity and not stay stuck in wherever we're at. We can get through it. Good things uh, can happen uh, to us. Remember what we're all about here at the Beyond Adversity podcast. We're all about helping you to navigate adversity in your life, to achieve your life of peace and prosperity and purpose. We're here for you. My name is Dr. Brad Miller. You can find me at drbradmiller.com. Look forward to seeing you again and hearing from you again and sharing life with you as we continue to bring on great guests, a lot like Aaron Young and others, who will speak some direction into your life to help you to grow through whatever it is that you go through. So until next time, friends, this is Dr. Brad Miller encouraging you to continue to do all the good that you can. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. You can find a complete archive of all episodes at drbradmiller.com. That's drbradmiller.com. Or subscribe for free through Apple Podcasts and never miss an episode. Each week, we bring you a message to crush adversity and live your life of peace, prosperity, and purpose. 